sing High King of Heaven. High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, oh bright heaven's sun. filled with um, a lot of poetry. Um, it's just about someone who sees the world around him and sees God everywhere. And um, the chorus is just, your love is strong, your love is strong. So um, if you don't know the song, you could at least um, sing the chorus with us because it's really simple. And this is the song, it goes like this. temptation deliver me from the evil one look to the meadow the birds are composing not a note is out of tune or out of place the flowers better dressed than any girl on her wedding day so why should I worry why do I freak out God knows what I need you know what I Your love is, your love is, your 
my heart to fear Embrace my fears appear the hour I first believe cause my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior who's ransomed me and like a flood His mercy I'm glad you guys were able to come out this morning and uh, fellowship with us. Um, thankfully, uh, Jimmy and uh, Megan 
uh, able to make the track. I don't know if they introduced themselves. I was kind of downstairs. So they made the track from Uncasville, the other part of the state, over here this morning. Came out, left early. It's a long drive for them. And uh, just to lead us in worship this morning. So uh, thankful that they made it out to help us out. Um, so let's do this. Before we get started, right, we always get started. We want to try and meet people and say hi to people. Uh, so take this time now just to say hi to somebody you don't know. And we always try and give like a pointed question, you know, with that. So at least the conversation can go somewhere. So the uh, question you're going to ask is, are you a morning person? Or are you a night person? Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? Go ahead, say hi, and then we'll come back and go over stuff, all right? Hopefully, got a chance to uh, say hi to somebody who didn't know and figure out if they're a morning person, night person. Um, I am more of a night person. I'm like ready to go. You know, 10:30 at night, I could be working out. Like I could be working on the house, cleaning. Like I don't know. I'm just built for nighttime. My wife, total opposite. Six o'clock, she's out of bed, working out. Has the videos in the living room, doing her thing. Like I just, I don't know. I, I admire that, and it's tough because uh, you know during the day the school year starting up. I'm a high school math teacher, and, uh, you know, the schedule for a teacher is definitely, you know, not night-friendly people, so it's a real struggle for me during the year. So, like, two months in, I'm finally getting into, at least for the most part, the proper sleeping schedule, but uh, it's tough for me, so definitely more of a night person. Um, and my sister's like that, too. I guess kind of the sign was, uh, you know, when we were younger, and we would be able to sleep until, like, noon, but those days are long gone. Um, so if you have your bulletin here, I just want to go over a couple things that are in here. Um, first thing is, uh, that first bullet point, there's a parenting seminar. So in the back, um, 
kind of as you go like around, there's like that table right there and just kind of like around there, we have like what I call at least, what we call anyways for right now, a little bookstore. So we got some books and CDs and all kinds of different things. And back there, uh, we have these flyers, parenting seminar. Uh, it's called Parenting on Purpose, September 23rd. All the info is on the card when you pick it up. Uh, and it's going to be at the Master's School uh, up in Simsbury. And basically, um, one of the churches that supports us that's in West Hartford, uh, they're sponsoring this, they're putting this on. And uh, there's this guy, uh, Dr. Bob Barnes, that's coming there to speak, speak about families, uh, some issues, uh, sessions that, that uh, it's going to include is who's training your children, parent-child relationship, what it takes to raise a leader, training your child about their sexuality, raising a good decision maker. So all good, hard-hitting stuff as far as, you know, what to talk about in a family and how to talk with your kids. And he talks a lot, a lot uh, about a lot of communication dynamics. So if you're interested in going to that, there's some uh, cards and flyers in the back, and the sign-ups are online. And all the info, again, is right on the card there. And I think the Saturday session... Which I think is on the 24th, there is child care. So even if you're going to go up and you want your kids to come up with you, there's child care. And I think if also if you sign up, I think within this week there's like a discount too. I forget what it is. But if you're interested, feel free to check that out after the service. When you grab refreshments, you can just uh, stop by and pick one of these up. We have the marriage getaway coming up, weekend to remember. Uh, you probably want to register for that pretty soon if you're going to uh, plan on going. Uh, in the back, as you noticed when you came in, right? Look at that. So last week we had uh, not really anything for the back-to-school drive for the Acts 4 Ministries. You know, they're going to pass it all out to a bunch of families uh, in Waterbury and Naugatuck for, you know, kids going back to school with all the needed items that they might, you know, need. And you guys filled it up. It's pretty awesome. It's nice to look back there and see all that stuff. And who knows how it's going to bless some family and what kid, you know, depending on what they might need. That's it's huge. It's huge. So thank you. Thank you, and um, I know those kids would be very, very grateful. And Acts 4 always likes to see us. You know, we're a small church. We just started October last year. really started every week, you know, this year and uh, since January. Small church, little group of people. But, man, when needs come up and people let us know stuff, we try and step up to the plate. And uh, it's nice. It's pretty cool. So it's good to be a part of, you know, what's got, what God is doing. And then also the men's retreat, women's retreat stuff. And if you're interested as far as going to those, the men's retreat, women's retreat, uh, there's a couple other churches that are going. We're going to try and go with them. All the info is online at that Camp Spofford um, address right there. And I think, I think that's pretty much everything. All right, so let's, uh, let's open up in prayer and then we'll get into... Uh, what we'll be talking about this morning, being bold as lions. So God, uh, we just placed this morning into your hands, Lord. You know, we had a lot of time, about a half hour, Lord, just to uh, sing some praises to you, Lord. Singing about how your love is strong, God, your love is strong. And even we got a chance to sing some classic old hymns, Lord, for some, from some faithful servants of you, Lord, that wrote those songs way back, God, and they're still powerful today, Lord. And... Uh, we just thank you for this Sunday morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we just put you at the center of it, Lord. Pray that during the worship time, God, we were just able to uh, have our hearts be softened and be open to what you might be trying to say to us, God. And now, 
as we get into studying the Bible, Lord, and looking at how people lived out your faith, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you'd also speak to us and keep as many distractions as possible just out of the way, God. And so, God, we just uh, we thank you for this morning and we put it in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let me start off with this one phrase because I'll kind of give you an idea as far as where we're headed. And then we'll start talking about... No, we can go back to just to the, to the beginning. Bold as lions. And last week we kind of talked a little bit about as far as being bold and being courageous and how that's kind of like a rare thing nowadays. And people don't even really use the word as far as really courageous to describe other people. And um, you know, we talked a little bit about last week how Christians, you know, in Proverbs it says the righteous are as bold as lions. And we said sometimes we could be like as soft as marshmallows and thinking like we're being like really lovey Christians, you know. So what we're going to read today kind of continues in that theme. But this past week, August 15th, went by this past week. August 15th is a significant date in the role of this church. Okay, August 15th, last year, we had a bunch of different like planning meetings as far as when the church was going to start, how we were going to launch, and putting stuff together, and figuring out like planning who's going to help out, and when they can help, and sort of the vision, and kind of what we have in mind. And we did that for a while. But one of the last meetings we had was August 15th last year. And we were in my living room at my house, had some refreshment and stuff, food set up, and I didn't really have great news really to tell everybody. It's like, you know, I don't really know if this whole church thing is really going to push forward because it just was like, people were just kind of dragging their, their feet a little bit as far as helping us. It seemed like every time I tried to make an appointment, it just wouldn't work out. Um, there was just like a lot of difficulty and just strain to just sort of get the momentum rolling and kind of get this thing going. And so August 15th, and I said at that meeting, I said, listen, I, I, I think that this is what God wants to do. I think this is how we're supposed to go forward. And, but God doesn't really seem to really be providing a way. And so I don't know, you know, maybe the timing just really isn't there and we're just going to have to see kind of what God does. And so that week, that very week, right on the spot, got a check cut just right for the website. Got some money given right to us to plant this church really right away. And then I just got a whole, literally a whole truckload of just uh, setup stuff and materials and sound equipment. And I was also able that week to secure a space, which happened to be this space. And so all that stuff just happened in a week. And then so our next meeting, when we came back, I was like, well, hey, I, I guess we're still on. You know, I guess, I guess we're still on. And so the reason why I tell you that story is because of this phrase that I was telling you, but I want to start off with, is that our obedience... To God or to what He might be calling us to, our obedience can sometimes lead to more difficulties, more anxiety, more strain. So our obedience to God, trying to go forth in what He says and what He asks of us, sometimes can lead to like more stress, more anxiety, and maybe more difficulty. And so as soon as I say that, and as when I read, wrote that down and I was kind of preparing this, I was like, well, man, you know, at least for me, that poses a little bit of a problem because 
unfortunately, I tend to think in the back of my mind, when it gets difficult, anxious, stressful, hard to maneuver, unfortunately, my first thought is, well, maybe God just really isn't in this thing. And that's just not completely the whole true story. Sometimes that's the case, but that's just not a guarantee completely. And so we're going to look today uh, at Paul where he followed some advice, some wisdom from the church. He, he had some guidance and advice. The church told him to do something. He went and did it. And we're going to see what happened as a result of that uh, this morning. But let me read you one thing. Uh, the, John Wesley didn't really struggle too much as far as like adversity, stress, anxious trials, and thinking maybe it wasn't from God. In fact, he was on the other side where he thought that he was like doing something wrong if that wasn't just a natural part of his life all the time. So let me read you this. I thought this was pretty interesting. So says, John Wesley was riding along a road one day when it dawned on him that three whole days had passed in which he had suffered no persecution. <laughs> three whole days. This guy's living in another world. Right? Not a brick or an egg had been thrown at him for three days. So alarmed, he stopped his horse and exclaimed, Can it be that I have sinned and have backslidden? Right? He's like on the other side of this thing. Slipping from his horse, Wesley went down on his knees and began interceding with God to show him where, if any, there had been a fault. A rough fellow on the other side of the hedge, hearing the prayer, looked across and recognized the preacher. I'll fix that Methodist preacher, he said. Picking up a brick and tossing it over at him, it missed its mark and fell harmlessly beside John. Whereupon Wesley leaped to his feet joyfully, exclaiming, Thank God it's all right. I still have his presence. Right? So he's like on the total other side, but I'm like, geez, I, I kind of struggle on the other end because I think, uh, you know, I think I, I, I certainly struggle and at least I've seen that it's a big struggle to where we think that God is really involved if we're really comfortable and it's going pretty smoothly. Must be from God. I don't know. So, we're going to pick up in Acts 21 and we got the Verses right up there. We're going to do a little bit of reading today. And, and it's only because, like, if I was to stop at a certain place, we'd be, like, stopping in the middle of the story. Like, he can't do that. We've got to get, like, the whole thing and make believe, like, we're in, the, we're in the context right then and there. And so you can't stop in the middle of this big, dramatic sort of ordeal and then be like, oh, well, I'll finish it off next week. You've got to kind of, like, stay in it. So we'll do a little bit of reading. So I just wanted to prep you from the outset. So we pick up. Verse 27. Right? Now remember I said that there is some advice given to Paul. They told him he came to the church that was in Jerusalem after he just went out on this big missions trip and you know, actually did some amazing things for God. He even brought back money to the church and so he was on this big sort of adventure journey for the Lord. Came back and the church that he came back to was like, oh that's great, these stories are amazing. He said, but listen, you ruffled some feathers while you were out there. The Jewish people that you came in contact with while you were out there, they're claiming that you're saying that they don't have to follow Moses at all, they don't have to follow the law, and they don't really have to really do what it says in the Old Testament. And he said, so to kind of make amends with that, what you have to do is you have to kind of go with a group of Jewish people, take this vow, offer some sacrifices, and show that it still matters to you, and hopefully that will kind of save face. And so he goes out and he does that. And in fact, he does sacrifices and takes his vow for himself, and he pays for the other people that are with him, hoping that that would do some good and kind of 
help the ties with them and the Jewish people there. Because it was a big deal. So we pick up verse 27 after he did that. So verse 27, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, right? He was just there taking his vow, offering the sacrifices. It says they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides... He has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Basically because, in parentheses, right, this guy Trophimus, who was part of the Ephesian city, was with Paul and assumed that brought, brought him into the temple area. So right away, his sort of advice and obedience kind of backfires. He was there, he gave the sacrifice, did the vow thing, and people saw him and they said, hey, that's Paul over there. And he brought in this Gentile, which wasn't supposed to go into like this holy place in the temple, and it just totally backfired on him. So he followed the advice. He was trying to do you know, what he thought God wanted him to do, but we're soon going to find out it got much more difficult for him, and a lot of pressures and trials are going to be coming his way, even though he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, because sometimes it goes like that. So here's what happens in verse 30. The whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions. So you just picture just this chaotic scene where everybody just starts flying in. They seize Paul. They drag him from the temple. And immediately the gates were shut. And then it says, while they were trying to kill him. Right? Pause there. This is an intense scene. They see this guy, they catch word of it, they're fleeing from all directions, and they're grabbing him, and they're just trying to literally kill him. So we pause just for a second and be like, why are they sort of flipping out like this? You know, what is the deal? Let's try and put ourselves there and figure out what is going on. So why are they so worked up? Well, they're so worked up for a couple of reasons. One reason is, on the next slide here, one reason is that it says that in the law, which is what these Jewish people are trying to protect, which they, Moses gave them, it says that, right, in Leviticus, that's part of the law, it says anyone who curses their God will be held responsible, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreign or native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they must be put to death. And so kind of an extreme punishment, but... Anyways, that's what God told them to do when somebody blasphemes this name of God. And so that's one reason why they're really flipping out because they really think that Paul and the message he's bringing is totally blaspheming the name of God and what Moses has instilled. And so they think, you know, this is what they should be doing. Secondly, the other reason why they're very upset, and it's really more this reason, I think it's on the next slide, it's really more this reason. The, the first reason kind of would be a little bit more respectful and be like, oh, they're really you know, standing up for justice for what God has done. But it's kind of like really more this, is that they thought their heritage, their birthright, their tradition, so the fact that they were Jewish, the fact that they had Moses, that they had Abraham, that they grew up in this line, made them acceptable before God. Listen, I'm a Jewish guy, I'm an Israelite, I have Moses, I have Abraham. 
I must be good with God, right? Like that's, I'm part of the, the chosen people, right? So I must be acceptable. And that's what they base their acceptance of God on. And as hopefully we know, that's not exactly how God works because your heritage, your traditions, your birthright, whatever you've done, it doesn't take away the sin. Only one person took away the sin, that was Jesus Christ on the cross. And so while maybe it's good to have good heritage, good birthrights, have healthy traditions, those in and of itself is not the whole story that just does away with the whole sin issue. But they kind of had that confused. And so even in Matthew, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people in the river, he told them and he addressed this. He says, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Because that was their big thing. We're from Abraham. We're from Moses. He gave us the covenant. He took us in the Sinai. We're in the desert for 40 years. He wandered around. We were with God. He fed us with manna. Yes, he did. And it's an incredible relationship. But don't think that just because you're part of that line, you're good with God. Because then it would take away from what Jesus did on the cross. Because if that was good enough, it's taken away from what Jesus did. Why would he have to die for us? So, those are a couple reasons why they're so worked up and so heated. One, they kind of want to uphold the law, but it's really this one. And so I think it's so much this one that they kind of use the other one to kind of justify it so it sounds good. And that's what they're going to be going after. So let's pick back up. So it says, while they're trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops. Right? Because under this, at this time, Rome was in control. They were in an area, but Rome is in control. And so the authorities see Jeez, the Jews are going nuts again. And so, let's go see what's going on. So, verse 32. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So, as soon as they see the law enforcement, you know, they stop. Verse 33. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. So, he comes on the scene arrest the guy that they're beating, thinking he certainly must have done something pretty bad to have such a mob trying to kill him. Verse 34, Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. And so it's just this incredible scene where they just can't stop. And even the authorities come, they arrest him, and the mob just becomes so intense, and they're still trying to grab and tug at him. They like pick him up, up on the shoulders, and they're like walking him over there. I mean, this is just crazy. Talk about dramatics. And he was just trying to do like what the church told him to do and what God told him to do, and this thing is just flying off the handle. And honestly, if that's me in that position, I, must, I would be like, geez, I had to have sinned somewhere and messed up really bad because why would God be doing this? And so maybe that's just a picture into my own heart, but this is where he's at. And it's also, isn't it eerily similar to like Jesus Christ and they're like, crucify him, crucify him. It was just this mob. They don't want to hear anything. It's just crucify him, crucify him. Just out of control. So verse 37. It says, As the soldiers, oh, sorry. Yeah, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked, 
the commander, may I say something to you? So Paul asked him, you know, can I say, do you speak Greek? He replied. And so the soldiers then replied to him, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? So they're just thinking, hey, he's this, you know, terrorist guy we heard about and this must be him, you know, maybe that's the guy. And Paul answered, no, actually that's not me. He goes, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they all were silent, he said to them in Aramaic. And see, like, we should probably technically stop there because it's the end of the chapter and you have to start a note. But you can't stop there. Like, this is the, this is the big thing. Like, you can't stop there. So we've got to continue. Like, what is he going to say? What's going to happen? Because this is huge. He's getting accused of this stuff. They're trying to kill him. And then also, hopefully you've noticed that as we have gone through Acts, one of Paul's big goals, one concern he really had was just a love for his people. And he really, really, really wanted the opportunity to come to his people and tell them what has happened in his life and what Jesus Christ has done and really give them the gospel. And what a greater platform than what right now. He's got them. They're all there. A huge mob. It was such a big mob that we found out later in Acts that it took around 200 soldiers really to contain this. There's a lot of people. And now they're all listening. So let's see what he says. So he starts in Aramaic. Significant. Already trying to relate to them. And that's when they became silent. They started to listen. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And it says, when they heard him speak to them Aramaic, they became very quiet. So then Paul said, and now he's going to give his story, really. He's going to explain what's been going on with him and try and set the record straight. Because remember, the claim is, he is telling us not to listen to Moses, not to follow the traditions, and ignore everything that God has given us. That's their vantage point anyways. Might be wrong, and they're making some bad assumptions, but anyways, that's their perception is their reality. So that's the deal. So now he's trying to address that through his own story. So it says, Then Paul said, I am a Jew. So right off the top, you know that. I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up, un, brought up in this city. I was raised here under Gamaliel, a head guy, right? It's significant. He uses him because he is a head, like, Pharisee, teacher of the law, very well respected. They could relate to that. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Saying, hey, I was in your butt. I love God. I love the law. I'm glad that we have this relationship with Him. I'm glad we're the chosen people and I'm zealous for Him. And in verse 4, here was my job. I persecuted the fathers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So listen, I was brought up. I knew what was going on. I was taught by the best. My job was to put these guys in prison and put them to death. That's what I did. In fact, the very people that are looking to condemn me now and kill me and put me on trial, they used to write my job description in a letter, send it to me, and I would go carry it out. That is what I did. And in verse 6, 
About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right? That was his name before. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. He said, get up, go into Damascus, there you'll be told, be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand in Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So they tell him the story about how he got knocked off the horse. And so he says, a man named Ananias came to see me. Right? And again, he's layering this with fellow Jews. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so he's just painting the whole picture of what really happened. I was knocked off the horse. I was brought to this guy, Ananias, another Jew. Observed the law. You probably know him. He told me to get baptized. God said, I'm a witness. And then it says, right after this instance, it says he returned to Jerusalem, was praying at the temple. He fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. And God kind of had him leave because really, he was like the Christian killer and then all of a sudden he just shows up and so it's, how do you embrace that right away and how do you even know he's really like, you know, it's legitimate. How do you know he's not just trying to like come and get in and do damage? So verse 19, it says, Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, right, we read about that before, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing me, killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so I think he does a pretty good job saying what God has really done for him and saying, you know, he knocked me off my horse, he didn't tell me what was coming next, and so I just followed the next step, which brought me to Ananias, and he didn't really tell me what was next, and so he prayed for me, and you know, the scales came off, so I thought I should go to Jerusalem, and then God told me what to do from there. And So he's laying in this whole story of how God has been working, trying to show them, listen, this is really from God, and I've always valued the traditions, and I still do. I'm not trying to do away with them. Now, here's where kind of the switch goes off. Says the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. What's the this? The part where God was actually going to try and reach out to the Gentiles, us, the non Jewish people. That's what just put them over the edge. We can't hear this stuff anymore. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged ah, and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And so when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, what are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. So they didn't know that up until this point. And Romans, they have rights. 
right? And it's expensive to get if you're not one. And if you're born one, uh, you know, you're entitled to a fair trial. So the commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes, I am. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. So even the guy right now is about to flog him. He's like, I, I had to pay for mine. Paul says, I was born one. And those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. So the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Because technically he can't even do that. He's supposed to even get a trial before he gets put in those chains and gets arrested. So this whole story is just crazy. And so in verse 30, this is where we're going to stop. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul is being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So Paul just goes from standing before the mob who's accusing him to where we leave off, where now he's going to stand before the religious leaders and authorities and address them. So that's what we do next week. This week, right, we talk about this unbelievable thing where God seems to just kind of be putting him through the ringer, but it just happens to be the path right now at this point in time as, as Paul is being obedient. So, one thing that I want to pick out that I, that I didn't as we were reading, right as we get into chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, where it says, listen now to my defense. You see that one there? You might even want to underline that maybe in your Bible if you have one. But that word defense is the word apologia. So that's where we get this term apologetics, where people like defend the faith and they write all these books and they come up with all these reasons and why they defend Christianity. And so where it comes from is really this part where Paul gets up right, and he defends. And really he's on trial here and he has to defend really himself and what's going on. And so really we're just witnessing a whole picture of him defending himself and the Christian faith. Sometimes, well actually probably a lot of times, you're going to be put in positions where you're going to have to defend yourself and the Christian faith. It might not necessarily be in a forum like this, hopefully not, in a forum like this where you have a mob after you and they're trying to kill you and beat you in the process. It's 2011 and there's some rights and you can't break those, those laws like that anymore. But there's conversations that happen at athletic events on the sidelines. You know, there's family gatherings. You know, there's coworkers at work. And issues and topics, you know, just come up. And at some point in time, because you're a Christian, it might not even have to defend it really so much, but maybe just further explain and just kind of make clear what God is saying and what is really going on. And I think there's a few things that we can take away from Paul's defense here before the mob. So, a few things. Actually, I put down five things. And I'm not going to go super long with all these. But five things I figured that we could take away from Paul's defense, his apologia, his apologetics, that could be helpful, could be useful for us. Because if we're believing in God and living out this Christian faith, and uh, you know, we can't really defend it or talk about it, or it's not too much a part of it, we're not that intelligent about it, 
how useful is that really going to be, right? So, first thing, we got some fill in the blanks here, right? As you go through the five, just to kind of help. God is able to blank himself. God is able to defend himself, right? At the end of the day, you're not going to know all the arguments. You're not going to have all the information. Other people are going to be smarter. I mean, that's just the way it is. And it could be tempting sometimes to kind of carry around a guilt that, geez, I just didn't, I didn't say everything that I should have said, and, and that I just didn't have it. You know, I just didn't have it that day. I didn't have the information that I needed, and I wish I had more. Maybe you pray to God and say, God, give me another shot at that. You know, just hopefully we can share or guide them to somebody else maybe that can really help answer their questions and, and help them out. And so I, I put that one up there just to put it into perspective, that God is really in control. Pretty smart guy. Pretty big guy. He's kind of in control. He can handle himself. He does choose to use us for sure. But he can take care of himself. And so I don't want you, the reason I put it up there is because I don't want you to carry around some sort of false guilt about it and beat yourself up over it. Because once you start to do that, what Satan does is then he comes in with his sledgehammer and he just tries to drive that one home. Saying how bad you are, saying how much you don't know, and just really condemn the heck out of you. And so we... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? We want to avoid that right off the top. God can defend himself. So secondly, the best way to defend your faith is your blank and your Christian life of blank. Right? The best way to defend, in quotes, apology, or sort of give an example of your faith, is your story as it goes in that blank. And your Christian life of love. Okay? So the best way to defend your faith is your story, your own story, whatever it happens to be, in your Christian life of love. And we see that with Paul. The way he was defending his faith was he just was giving really just a witness of his story of what God has done in his life. Here's what God did. Nobody can take your story away from you and what God has done. That in and of itself has supreme power. You can't take that away. It's amazing. I hope you pay attention along the way so you can see when God is actually working in your life. Right? Hopefully you're turned, tuned in at least that much so you can get that in there and then be able to share that with other people. But your story, the more detailed you know your story and how God has worked, you can't argue with that. And people can try, and they can ask certain questions, but they can never, ever take that away. And so the better you know the story, with more details, and, and I remember, you know, uh, even when you go on mission trips, sometimes what they do is... Um, you know, they have you write down, maybe sometimes they call it your testimony, your story, but honestly, throughout life, God gives you thousands of testimonies when you're a Christ father. There's not, there might be one particular story, you know, that really sticks out, but there should really be a bunch of God just working all the time. And so sometimes they would have us, you know, write it down, and it was a good drill just to sort of write down, you know, our testimony or our story because it really helped us to go back to the details and see how God worked and when he was in the middle of that thing. And so knowing your story is huge and it's vitally 
important. And I put in there your Christian life of love because hopefully, while you're talking about your story and your life, the other person isn't thinking that. I know that's what they're saying now, but I also know how they live and what they do. I've seen them interact with their husband or their wife. I've seen how they treat their kids. I've seen how they have no patience, right? Like you want it to add up. And so this Christian life of love hopefully is the thing that sort of covers all this because then they can look and say, you know what? I don't know. That is a pretty genuine and authentic person. And in fact, even when they mess up or somebody calls them out on something, they're pretty honest about it. And they're just like, yeah, you know, I probably should have done that differently and I didn't. I'm going to try and do better next time. That's what goes a long way with people because sometimes people get into this whole apologia and apologetics just because they want to prove and make a point. But if you're just in that thing to try and win an argument, it's not going far. Because the phrase is, you could win an argument, but you could lose a person. Like, it's not rooted in love. We're missing out. So, third part. The worst thing you can do, to kind of piggyback what we were doing last time, the worst thing you can do to defend your faith is to lead a contradictory life. Right? If it's not adding up, and it's really con- you know, contradictory to what you're saying, that's just going to kill whatever, whatever you're trying to say. Right? And, and that just adds to integrity in your life. I mean, that's just really that, what that's all about. You know, you're practicing what you preach. Is it just on Sunday? Or is it all seven days a week? Is it just when people are looking? Or is it actually when you're by yourself? Is it when you're going to get the credit? Or is it when just everybody else might get the credit and you might not even get acknowledged? You know, what is the real issue at stake there. So the worst thing you can do is give them some mixed signals. Because one other quote that I've heard people say is that your life is the only Bible that some people might read. Maybe, right? We're hoping that people will look at our lives and see how we do and see how we love Christ and it's going to add up. It's not going to send mixed signals. So number four here. Are you able to blank the message of Christ? Are you able to adapt the message of Christ? Because when Paul was there, it was very, very intentional how he talked about it. He was addressing a mob that wanted to kill him and be done with him. In particular, it was a Jewish mob. And to that Jewish mob, what was very important to them was the law and the commandments and what God has given them. And so he made it to be a real point to address that law, to address God, to address the fact that he's Jewish, and to address the fact that God used Jews all in the process to do this. It was very, very intentional. And so, when you, when I, come in contact with different types of people, strong Catholics, and you want to address certain things like routine and ritual with like relationship and a genuine heart with God, hopefully you can adapt the message of Christ accordingly. It's kind of a skill. You have to work at it. If you're talking with someone who's just kind of an agnostic, doesn't really know what to believe, and is just having a hard time really trying to figure it out, could you be able to adapt the message to make it fit so that they might be able to see that a God is even out there? Right? It's a different way to kind of twist it in each situation 
And do you have practice? Have you used the opportunities God has given you to sort of do that? Right? We have to be able to be good at adapting the message because God has put us around all kinds of different people. People that are struggling, people with horrible experiences, and somehow we got to be a light and be the salt. And it requires some work on our part. It's not just like we pray for it and it just magically happens. A lot of times we pray for it and He actually wants us to be an active part in the middle of that. We're actually doing it. And so can we adapt the message of Christ? And maybe even as you sit there and you're thinking, you know, you're kind of thinking about people, maybe situations where maybe you've tried to do it and kind of went okay, or maybe there were some times where you tried to do it and it didn't really go exactly as planned. Or sometimes you're just like, nah, I didn't want to deal with it. Or you engage it and you did a good job. But hopefully now you'd be thinking, geez, you know, maybe I'll be looking this week and see if maybe I can sort of steer this some way and kind of see what God might be trying to do with it. And so the fifth and final one here. Ask for God's help. Right? With this whole thing, apologia, defending your faith, sharing it with other people, it's just not a mission where it's just your intellect versus theirs. It's the God of this universe, His Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And that's the help that we need to go out and do this. Right? It's just not a my smarts versus your smarts. It says that there's God and Satan. And Satan wants some people to join him at the end in that, in that lake. He wants some people with him. And so it's a real battle. And so Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. So just asking God, help to make me more knowledgeable. Give me better judgment. Help me to understand things better. And in 2011, there's some good opportunities. You may have heard there's a thing called the Internet. has some good resources on there. There's a lot of very smart, smart Christian people that are out there. And if you're into, some people are just really into this part of the Christian faith, just reasoning, either at a philosophical level, um, at a science level, at all the different types of levels, they're just really into this. And I, I guess I have a little bit into it, but I'm not really that heavy into it. I just want to be able to defend my God pretty well, know my story pretty well, and, but I don't want to go like in a science debate. I don't know. I don't really have a passion for that. But there are people that do do that. And it's pretty interesting what they say and what goes on. And so on the next slide, if you're interested in some resources and for some helps, here's some guys on the list. The guy, first guy there is this guy, John Rankin. He's from the Rankin Institute. He's actually in Connecticut. That's what he does. He goes around debating and talking with people about God. His latest debate happened at a church in West Hartford, actually the one that's sponsoring um, that parenting thing I was talking about on the flyer. He was actually at that church and talking about how he's never met a real atheist and he debates abortion and all different types of issues. So he goes to churches or to wherever the venue is and they just talk it out. And I think there's a lot of value in it. Apologetics.org You have a guy who's C.S. Lewis, um, Francis Schaeffer. They're both on apologetics.org, these old guys of the faith. That's what they did. They just defended it and a lot of reasoning. Ken Ham, he has a whole museum. He calls it the Creation Museum. I think it's out in Ohio. 
C.S. Lewis, who talks about Norman Geisler, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. We got his book in the back, The Case for Christ. And his story was that he's an atheist and he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune or Chicago Times. It's just like, I'm going to go out and just prove this whole Bible thing and God thing wrong. And he became a Christian by the end. You know, so... So there's things out there really to help us out and sort of understand our faith a little bit better. But at the end of the day, um, the battle is the Lord's. I mean, that's really, you know, what it is. And so we've got to rely on His strength and know our God in an intimate way. And the stuff that we pray for in private for other people, nobody can touch that. And God works with those prayers somehow, some way. I don't know how He does it, but He does it. So what we're going to do is we're going to close with uh, communion. And we're going to do a song. So if uh, we can, yeah, Mark and uh, or, um, Jimmy and Megan can come on up. And we're going to do uh, Give Me Jesus, I think is the song that we're going to do. While the song is playing, uh, we're going to pass out the communion, uh, the bread, and the juice. And so what you can do is just hold on to it. And at the end of the song, we'll take it together. Um, but I would just encourage you during the song, it's, uh, it's got some good words. And, uh, you know, just close your eyes and reflect on what Jesus has done, and sacrifice that He's made, and just how we just need Him in our lives. You know, communion is that time just to really sit back and reflect. And if you don't have a relationship with God, it's... If you still have questions about the faith, then I probably wouldn't take communion because it really wouldn't mean much. But if you're a follower of Christ and a follower of Jesus, I would definitely take it. And so they're going to lead us in song. Like I said, hold on to it, and then we'll come back together and we'll take it together.
to die Oh, and when I come to die says that uh, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed it says he took the bread so we take the bread and uh, he said when he would given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so we'll take it together it says in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So Paul is on trial for it. was this new covenant where Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. Jews didn't see it. But this is a new covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So we'll take it together. And it says that, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So that's why we take it, you know. Until He comes back, we faithfully take that and we acknowledge the sacrifice that He made on that night. So let's stand and um, we'll close in prayer together. You know, as I was sitting there thinking, as far as like giving reasons for our faith, dealing with apologetics and defending and trying to share and just battling what's out there. You know, it's not that easy in 2011 
being a Christian out there, it's like you could almost be, you know, you could be into New Age, you could, you could be uh, a Muslim, a Buddhist, you could be Church of Scientology, and there's just like a lot of tolerance. There just seems to be minimal tolerance really for a Christian. You just got a target on your back, and so it is tough stuff. And um, there could be a lot of barriers sharing our faith with just like approval and people pleasing with other people because a lot of times, like I said, our form is just one-on-one with people. And so if we struggle with just having people wanting to like us really no matter what and to not ruffle any feathers, it could be difficult. And so if you have our time with that, you know, it's definitely uh, something you should ask God about and have Him help you with. Because then, uh, you know, kind of once you get over that, you'll be able to make true friends and just uh, not trying to appease everybody. So let's close in prayer. And so God, we just, uh, the title, Lord, was to be uh, bold as lions, Lord, within the middle of this and all the pressure and uh, trials and circumstances that could come, Lord, from living out your name and living out the good news. We just got to be bold, Lord. We need to be courageous to just stand in the middle of just evil, Lord, and call it what it is. No matter what happens, we've got to guard our families, guard our children's, Lord. We have to just guard our marriages and just defend it from just all the trash and filth that is out there trying to just weasel its way in there, God. And we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't shy away and, and fall back and be soft, Lord, but that we could be bold, Father, and stick up for their... What's right, Father? So God, we just ask that you give us strength, God. And when we struggle, Lord, we thank you that you're patient and we thank you that you're loving. And we pray, Lord, when things get tough, Lord, we wouldn't just uh, you know, make false calls on you, Lord, but that uh, we would just be able to trust you to just take us through whatever you're bringing us through in life, Lord. Because it says that you'll give us peace in all circumstances, not peace from all circumstances, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Help us to go out this week, Lord. Be bold, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, thanks again for uh, bringing that stuff in for the back-to-school drive. we got refreshments in the back. If you're interested in getting one of those flyers, grab one of those. And if you want prayer for anything, uh, I'll be up front up here. Other than that, have a great week.